helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Life Transformation Show. Today's show is titled, Five Crucial Principles for Trauma Recovery. And as usual, we will be using a biblical text to launch this radio show. In this episode, it is Psalm 46. The Bible tells stories of real people who once lived, real people who were faced with the challenges and the ups and downs of life. It is not surprising, therefore, that we have a plethora of traumatic events recorded in the scriptures. For example, Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of his son Phineas, lost her husband and father-in-law the same day in a war with the Philistines. This trauma indirectly affected her to the extent that she died shortly after. We find that in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Other examples of trauma in the Bible is the rape of Tamar, and we have done a radio show on that topic, the rape of Tamar. We also have other traumas such as the death of David's infant son, where the son was sick and David prayed for his recovery, but the child died nevertheless. And we also have the the death of Job's ten children, all at once in a natural disaster. And this is just a few of the recorded trauma that we find in Scripture. Trauma can be broken down into two categories. There are natural trauma and man-made trauma. Natural trauma can be witnessed in the acts of God, such as avalanches, tornadoes, earthquakes, and so forth. But we have man-made trauma as well, such as a rape of someone, such as a physical abuse or emotional abuse, or a car accident can be an example of a man-made trauma. Regardless of the source or the type of trauma, we know that trauma can have devastating effect on the person who experiences it. Kushner and Pargament in their book, Shaken to the Core, Understanding and Addressing the Spiritual Dimension of Trauma, they say that trauma can have a negative effect on one's spiritual well-being as well. So trauma not only affects us psychologically, it affects us spiritually as well. So in this radio show, we will be using Psalm 46 to highlight five crucial principles that are essential for overcoming trauma, trauma of any kind, and of any intensity. And yes, I chose Psalm 46 because it is very appropriate and loaded with gems that we can use to deal with any kind of trauma that we might be experiencing. 
it is a short psalm, just 11 verses. So I will read most of the psalm, not necessarily all, but most of the psalm. And then I will be pulling apart little pieces of it, verses at a time, to highlight each of the five points that I will be dealing with in this radio show. So Psalm 46 reads as follows. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So there we have the reading of Psalm 46. I think I read most of it except for maybe one or two verses. So I'm going to be now uh, uh, pulling from it certain sections and applying it to each point that I will be using. So the first crucial principle in Dealing with trauma, the first crucial principle for trauma recovery is that we need to tame the troubling memory. The memory of the trauma that creates anxiety and stress needs to be tamed. And the way to tame the memory is to be able to talk about it in detail and not to be afraid of the content. So we have uh, trauma victims such as sexual abuse victims who cannot talk about what has happened to them without going into distress, without uh, feeling disturbed by what happened. And as a result of that, they tend to put aside the memory. But we know from, from observing clients and from working with trauma clients that the more you try to push the memory away, the more uh, likely it is to intrude in your thought. It is something that you're afraid of. So you have these intrusive memories that seems to come out of nowhere that cause anxiety, stress, and even panic attacks. So in dealing with trauma, the memory needs to be tamed. Freud calls such vivid images untamed memories. And so we need to get to a place where we can talk about the details of what happened without having these stress responses. So the first part of Psalm 46 gives us an example of how to do that. It talks about the cataclysmic event in very great detail. It, and just listen to the words that is used to describe what happened. 
Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way. So we are learning something about what happened in that natural disaster. The earth gave way. There is some kind of shifting of the earth. Maybe it was an earthquake. And to the extent that the, the mountains fall and crumble and fell into the sea. So there is this picture here that has been painted, and you can just see that calamity that is playing out. There is such a movement of the earth that the very mountains, the rocks of the mountains are falling, and they're falling into the sea. But the writer of the psalm didn't stop there. He goes on to tell us what the waters look like after the rocks fell into the water. And he described it as such. He says, the, he described it in the following ways. Though the waters roar and foam. So in other words, he's saying that when the rocks are falling into, into the sea, when there is this great uh, cataclysmic event that the waters are in uproar and it's foaming, the waters are foaming. So as I speak, you can begin to picture this white foaming waters with rocks and the splashing that it's making. And then he said, and the mountains quake with their surging. So the mountains are moving with the surging of, of, of the water and the, the, the movement of the, of the earth. So this is an example of how trauma has to be retold. With sexual abuse victims, we go into great detail of having them retell what happened, what they can remember of the event. And in, in, in the same with any kind of trauma, the victim has to be able not to try to avoid the memory, but to try to talk about the memory in such a way that they tame it, that they master it, and that it no longer creates distress. When I have trauma clients who come in, I work uh, as, a, as a trauma specialist in some of the areas of my work where I use this mode of counseling that's called EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And it involves this principle of having clients talk about their trauma. So when they will come in for the first session and they will tell their story, a lot of clients, they are trembling, they are crying, they are in great distress. And I will say to them, eventually after four or five sessions, you will be able to tell me this story without having these physiological responses. And a lot of them will say, that's impossible. I have been crying like this for years, and this thing has happened 20 years ago. But without exceptions, my clients get to a place where they're able to talk about the trauma with less of a psychological response, a physiological response. And this only happens because each session that we talk about it, we talk about it in detail, and in great details, until they are not troubled by telling their story anymore. So that's how you you deal with trauma. You have to be able to tame the memory. So one of the questions that we often get from people who are coming in is what happens if a person cannot remember the detail of the trauma. 
Well, if that's not possible that you can tell the, the trauma in detail, we can work with the physiological responses that you're having. If you're having post-traumatic stress responses, that's a form of memory. That's your sympathetic nervous system remembering what's happened to you, even though your cognitive mind, your conscious memory has no recollection of the event. So we can work with the, 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 the body memory and, de- and work with that to help to alleviate those symptoms. And, and what we are doing by doing that is that we are taming the subconscious memory. So even though you don't have conscious memory, by working with the physiological symptoms and helping to alleviate those symptoms, we are in fact dealing with the memory at a subconscious level. So in telling the, the, the story, in detail, the first time will be stressful, but as the story is told over and over again, trauma victims become desensitized to the story and they no longer have the same physiological response. The second point in, or the second crucial principles for overcoming trauma is that there need to be uh, containing symbols of the trauma. We need, we need to come up with a way of containing the symbols of the trauma, I should say. So containing the symbols of the trauma is a second point. So in other words, what we need to do is to come up with symbols that represent what has happened and come up with a way in which those things can be put in some kind of a container that we can imagine that they are they are controlled and contained within that container. It seems like a very a very far-fetched thing that I am saying, and it seems weird, but the mind is very powerful. And in the same way that the mind can prolong trauma by thinking about it after long after the event has passed, the mind can also create images that can help you to overcome the trauma. So, for example, someone who has been through a cataclysmic event like this, they could imagine a symbol of a rock which represents the mountain as being uh, the chaos and the catastrophe that played out. That rock could be a symbol for them of what happened on that dreadful day when the mountains fall into the sea. In other words, your trauma might not be this, but it, in a sense, this is symbolic of all kinds of trauma because when a trauma happens, your world crumbles, your world around you falls apart and there, there is chaos and, and, and pain and your life is, seems out of control. Michael will be right back. You have been listening to the Life Transformation Show where award-winning psychotherapist Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services has been speaking on the topic, Five Crucial Principles for Trauma Recovery. You can find out more about our not-for-profit organization at elimcounselingministry.com or by calling 1-877-544-3546, where you can also make a donation to this Christ-centered ministry. Back to Michael. 
So that that rock that Psalm 46 mentions when it talks about uh, the, the, the mountains falling into the sea, a simple rock, a simple stone ca- could be used as a symbol. And you could come up with a container in which you want to imagine that you put this stone as a way of containing the trauma. So it could be a box, it could be a metal container that you imagine. And again, when we do this work in trauma work, we imagine the container in great detail. What's the color? What does it look like? What does the rock look like? What's the shape of the rock? And as we imagine that, we we contain the the we we put as away that rock uh, imagine putting away that rock after every session. And what my client will say to me, Michael, when, when this intrusive memory came up during the week, I just remind myself that it's put away in that box and I no longer feel distress. I no longer feel as if I want to have a panic attack because this image of the trauma being contained and put away helped me to deal with this. And there are many different things that you can come up with to represent the trauma that you're going through. So in this psalm, we see an example of a, of a container exercise that could, be, that could be used. So remember that in the beginning of the psalm, the distressing symbols are water. The distressing symbols are rock. And we, we have this chaos and disorder and mountains falling into the sea and the waters roaring and foaming. But in 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 the second in the in the th- third and fourth verse of the psalm, or the, yeah, the, in the fourth and, and fifth verse of the psalm, we we see the psalm is shifting to a more peaceful image, and is and is and the psalmist says there is a river whose stream make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Now think about this, this image is totally different than the first image. The first image is water being out of control and mountains falling. This second image is of the same substance. It's about a river, which is water, and it's about the holy place where the Most High dwell, which is the holy place of God. Mount Zion is a mountainous place with the same substance of rock. But the psalmist is now putting this these two images in a different order. They are not in chaos anymore in the psalmist's mind. There is a river that makes glad the city of God. So glad versus chaos and destruction. And the mountains are no longer this dreadful place where rocks are crumbling, but this place is the place where the Most High dwells. And this kind of vivid imagination reconstructing the trauma in such a way that it's contained and it's no longer this scary, fearful thing, it seems very simple, but it's very, very powerful. And the foundation of trauma work is to come up with containing a containing uh, image in which the trauma can be con- 
the trauma can be controlled. Our symbols are the symbols of the common, coming up with a container in which the images of the trauma or the symbols of the trauma can be controlled. So in this verse, verse 4 and 5, we have the river, we have the mountain, which is a holy place of God, but they are no longer crumbling and falling into the sea. It's a place where there is happiness and where God is worshipped. So that is the second principle of a effective trauma work. The third principle of effective trauma work is to see God's presence even in the worst of situation. And this is especially for people of faith. There are other ways in which this can be said, but in dealing with with, uh, largely a Christian uh, population and Christian listenership, seeing God's presence even in the worst of situation is a very powerful aspect of dealing with trauma work. And we have the psalmist saying in this psalm in verse 7 that the Lord Almighty is with us, that the God of Jacob is our fortress. So we know that he's not just saying that now that the trauma is is over, God is with us. No, he's saying that in the midst of the trauma, even in the most fearful part, the Lord Almighty is with us. How do we know this? We know this by going to verse 1. Verse 1 of the psalm says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So the psalmist is not saying that God is only there when things are going well, when you have this image of Mount Zion where, you know, there is water and there is a mountain, but it's the place of God, it's Mount Zion, and and God has been worshipped and the river is flowing gently. He's saying, no, even in the chaos, even in the calamity that is plain, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And I emphasize the in because sometimes we fall apart because we cannot see God in the trauma. And so if we are working with clients of faith to overcome trauma, we help them to see that God was there even in the chaos and the destruction, and he was working even in those times when we cannot understand. And this might not be an immediate thing where you can see immediately, but over time you can see, you will begin to be able to see it and you'll be able to recover as you can see God in your trauma. I remember one of my clients who had an horrific accident uh, some time ago in which someone almost died in the accident and he was angry at God for a long time. And after a few weeks work, he came into me and he said, Michael, I can now see God in the trauma. And I said, explain. And he said, yes, if God wasn't there that morning when this accident happened, many more, many, many people, many school children would have died. So God is there and God is always working. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 35 to 37 says, 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So this is the God in trouble that that uh, Paul is the apostle Paul is talking about here. Even when things look bad and you have been persecuted and there is disaster, God is still there working. And if you can see that higher power, God in the Christian context at work, even in the most adverse situation, that is a way, a a foundational, a very important and crucial step in overcoming the trauma. The fourth step in good trauma work is involved coming up with a symbol of strength. So we talk about uh, coming up with images that represent the trauma, but coming up with symbols of strength can also be important. What is it that brings you comfort when you tend to worry? What symbol can you imagine that if you think about that symbol in the midst of, in, in times when you are worried or you're, be, you're having a post-traumatic stress response, that that this this symbol will bring you peace and comfort. We find an example of such a symbol in Psalm 46 verse 7 where the psalmist says, the God of Jacob is our fortress. The word fortress is this well-protected place that 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 the enemies can't get to it's the strongest point of defense against the attack of the enemy. So the psalmist is here saying, when life throws its worst at me, when this trauma comes up with the most stressful memories, I have a place that I can imagine being, and it is being in this fortress, fortress which is God. But the symbol of strength can also be a tree. We see tree, a tree being used as a symbol of strength in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And goes on to say, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. A symbol of strength can be a cross, it can be the Bible, but it's something that makes you feel anchored and make you resilient in the, in the, in the face of the traumatic memory and the post-traumatic stress. The fifth and final principle in overcoming trauma is to come up with a way of calming the fight or flight response. As in Psalm 46 verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still is the opposite of the fight or flight response. When we have suffered trauma, we can become hyper alert and hyper vigilant. But the psalmist, after talking about this great cataclysmic event, says here, be still and know that I am God. So uh, dealing with trauma involves being able to control the fight or flight response. Kenneth Pergamon and his colleagues defined three types of coping skills. And the first, he says, is the, it involves the self-directing style where the person actively solves the problems on his or her own. The second 
style, the differing style, is where the person uh, gives up on the problem entirely and turns it over to God and say, God, you deal with this. But the third kind is what he calls the collaborative style, and this involves the individual and God working together in the problem-solving process. And this is from, from the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion, where he did this article, Three Style of Coping. And this is this style where it says, be still and know that I am God. Doesn't mean you just do nothing and make God take over. Being still takes effort. It takes discipline in the midst of impulses that make you want to run and to be in panic. Being still and appropriating your belief in God, what you know of God to be true, is a very, very important step. And this is where meditating on scriptures while you have been still can be important. Scriptures like Jeremiah 29 verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declared the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Or scriptures like Jeremiah 17 7, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who confides, whose confidence is in him. So as we meditate on the Word of God, it is taking away the hyper-vigilance and the hyper-alert from our, our fight-or-flight response system and causing us to trust in God. There's more that I could say on this part of it, but I see that we are quickly out of time today. If you'd like to hear more about this, you can give us a call at one 877 544 or you can go to our website at ways that you can contact us. You can also listen to this entire podcast on our YouTube channel, which you can access through our website. So until next time, this is your host, Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services, praying that God would bless you in all your relationships and keep you sound in mind and pure in heart.